0: Welcome to Foothills Church, Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Harvey Friesen. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to summer. Uh, We started, obviously, on the 21st. Uh, I don't know if you, any of you are like me, but I always look forward to that day. I think it's a pinnacle moment, the beauty of a long day. And here in Idaho, of course, we get long, wonderful days. I think it was till 9.30 or something like that on Monday night. Uh, when I was a kid, even when I was 11 or 12, I always loved summer. I, I like baseball, of course. I mean, and those of you who like baseball, summer is kind of the it, right? I mean... Uh, summer hot dogs, Fourth of July, all those kinds of things. I also had this sense as a kid that you only get so many summers. I mean, I, I remember thinking, I mean, I started working when I was nine years old, right? So started working, had made my own money from nine years old and kind of had to take care of myself a lot through high school and all those things. And I, I realized you only get so many summers. My dad lived to be 62. My, my mom lived to be 64. I just turned 55. And I I don't live with fear. I mean, maybe I get 55, maybe I get 75, maybe I get whatever five, I don't care. But one of the things that I do do is that I'm not afraid to go out and get out there and go. I'm not afraid to get out there and go and enjoy life, get out there and go and be a person of faith, get out there and go and stretch myself and push myself and ask myself, what would it look like if I pushed a little harder and what would it look like if I actually believed I could do my best and be my best? Over the course of this year, we've been studying lots of different topics along the way. Uh, We started in January where we did a study on the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, we looked at seven rules for living our lives. And here's what happened. Like it or not, some of us took some. Some of us said, yeah, well, okay, whatever. I don't want to do it. And I get that the sermon is just a part of your week and what we do. And I know that what I say on Sunday morning, this morning, is a slice and a sliver. But one of the things that I did take seriously early in my life was this, is you are going to be an adult and responsible for your life. I remember when I was young, I kept thinking, when are the adults going to show up? I grew up in an alcoholic home, right? And I kept thinking, okay, I mean, if you get drunk three nights in a row, they're going to probably like lose your job or something or whatever. It's like, just be an adult. I remember thinking that. As I've grown to become an adult, part of my view on life is this, I'm going to go follow God, Because I've seen what the world produces and I've seen that the world puts out these great, big, fantastic ideas. It uses Hollywood to pump up the idea. It uses Wall Street to try to generate the ideas around money. And then it says, okay, yeah, but that's just for a few. And then what you see and realize is is that you work, 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 work. And the reality is, is that your life goes by fast. Think about this for a second. You ready? You're a few days away from 2021 being gone. Okay? We studied in, in, uh, in the month of February, we studied about faith and science and how faith and science actually get along really, really well and how God the great scientist teaches us amazing and beautiful things. We went into Easter and we studied what God is saying into our lives. We got into April and we talked about biblical manhood, how to be a man in a world where the world assaults biblical masculinity and what it means to actually be a man with strength and courage and gentleness and a heart of goodness. We then went into May and we did Mother's Day and then we just finished a sermon series on making sense in a nonsense world. For the next 11 weeks, which is gonna be our summer, we're gonna do this sermon series called Get Up and Go. You've learned a lot. My challenge to you is this. Get off your tush and do something. Move. Get out there. No one's waiting on you to live your life. I mean, listen, nobody's standing around waiting going, well, if they do that, I'll do. Get on and move on with life. Chaucer said this time and tide wait for no man. Time's moving. Times pushing forward. So we're going to get up and go. And in this sermon series, we're going to talk about simple, digestible truths, things that can approach your life and you can use in a real and meaningful way. We're starting off with three sermons around relationships. And why around relationships? Because for the last 18 months, we've been pent up and sitting in our houses and trying to figure out, can we go, not go? Mask, not mask. Can we go to work, not go to work? Did I keep my job? Did I lose my job? All those kinds of things are going on. And that. Takes an enormous relationship toll. It just does. We're gonna talk about three very important things along the way, and you see them right here is that we're gonna talk about get up and go, be intimate. Today, we're gonna to talk about intimacy. And when I, I've, I've done premarital couple counseling for probably almost 400 couples now, and the first, every time when they come in, I say, okay, what does intimacy mean? And they go, oh my gosh, did he just ask that? Are we gonna talk? Because the first thing that we think about in our sex crazed culture is, is that he means sex. And I'm like, well, wait, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what intimacy is way more than that. Because we are all starved for meaningful, uh, uh, intimate relationships that have nothing to do with sexuality and have everything to do with knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served. So we're going to talk about that a little today. Next week, we're going to get together on the 4th of July, and we're going to talk about how to resolve your conflicts. Very few people realize this, but for 12 years before they declared the revolution and their declaration of independence, they were sending letters and envoys and emissaries and ambassadors back to London over and over and over again saying, Hey, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. And finally, what happened on July 4th, 1776 is that they said, you know what? We're signing the paper. These are our problems. We're going to go resolve this. And out of that was born this great country. Conflict resolution is one of the greatest skills you can have in your life, no matter where you work, whether you're married or not, whether you have um, everything you want or nothing you want. Conflict resolution is such an important thing. And then the last one we're going to do on this little three-part vignette as a part of 11 weeks is we're going to do... Get up and go make a decision. One of the things that is paralyzing the generations that we live in here, and especially the younger generation, is this: how do we make a decision? I mean, how, how do you make decisions? And what we've done is, is that we have let our hearts sort of guide us and go, okay, well, it feels good. We'll just go do this. Well, is there a, does the Bible say anything about how to make good decisions? So we're going to talk about those for the next three weeks. And there's a further eight weeks on from there that we're going to discuss as well. I want to see a picture that's one of my favorite pictures. It's actually the one that's behind this picture right here. Um, I've traveled all over the world. I've had the benefit and blessing. And part of that was is that before you say, well, man, he's lucky or he's got all the money and he wants and all like that. Just, I made it, we made it a value. We made it a value to say, you know what? We're going to spend time together. Remember the freezing model. We're going to pray together, play together, stay together, right? We're going to do those things. And our travels included serving all over the world. I've helped build two hospitals, one in India and one in Mexico. I, we, my family alone, we've been a part of building 70 homes for homeless people all across the globe where we went and hammered nails and where we went and poured concrete and we went and put felt up and we put stucco up. We said we're going to get up and go. I like this picture because it reminds me of Ireland. I I have a picture that's like this. It's actually in this area, but this is on the west of Ireland. Anybody here been to Ireland? Anybody here want to go to Ireland? I do. I want to go back to Ireland. It's a beautiful place. Well, there's this place that's on the west coast of there called the Dingle Peninsula, and there's this cove that's right there, and there's these islands that sit off from it. Maybe, I don't know, probably a mile or two off. And there's a little ferry that comes into the cove, and that ferry takes people out, and it only can be done on good days when the weather's too choppy or whatever. They don't make their way out. But here on the west of Ireland, uh, I love how clear the ocean is and how star- stark and strong the land is. And if you think about it, you know, be a little bit metaphysical with me for just a moment, you have this convergence of the sea and the mountains, and they roar. And if you've ever been by the ocean and you heard it roar, I mean, that's what it sounds like there let me walk you into a story. So one of the guys that, uh, uh, one of the life goals that I've had, one of the life goals that my wife Shadley has had is this, is, is that we have our marriage goals and life goals that we want to do there. But we also have life goals where we wanted to build relationships with people early on and we wanted to maintain and keep them along the way. So one week, every other year or so, we'll go spend time with our friends doing different things. Well, on this trip, I was on the west of Ireland with my friend Russell Moldovan. He and I were roommates in college, spent three years together as roommates. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. Uh, We go way back as friends. We keep connected on all kinds of things. We've done investment stuff together. We've done all kinds of things together. Um, we went to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade together with our families because that was one of our life goals. We did that together. And we pinched all of our pennies, and we didn't have a gob of money, and we stayed in a place that was really below the Mrs. Standards. I'll tell you that. It was below the Mrs. Standards. Um, but we went, and we did it, and we have that memory. Well, let me walk you into this memory, okay, with, with Russell. And so in this r- trip with Russell Moldovan, uh, we had gone somewhere to visit my family, I think in Germany, and because I had relatives there, and so we go back and forth to see them. And so I, at the end of it, Russell and I were scheduled where I was going to fly to Ireland. I would meet him there. We had bicycles, and we were going to bicycle for about seven days. We walked, we hiked, we biked, uh, we had conversations, we prayed together. We just kept our friendship alive and going, okay? And so we went on a 20-mile ride, and as we went on this 20-mile ride, we had this picture taken. And I can't remember if we had one of those little cameras, you know, where you go. <laughs> and then, you know, you set a timer or whatever. But somehow we got a picture of the two of us. And that's the two of us. Russell on the left, the stronger, more handsome one on the right is me. Um, and we're running into the ocean. Now, I need to tell you the, the lead up to this story. OK, so we get there. We've ridden 20 miles. We get to this place on this beach and Russell's there and he's looking around. Or whatever. Before I know he runs into the ocean. I'm like, now, that's crazy. I'm not going, 52 degrees is what the average temperature of the water is off the coast of Ireland. You can see that there were clouds all around as well on that day, too. So Russell runs in um, into the ocean, and then as a good friend would do, he begins goading me. You wimp. What a, you know, he went all of his words or whatever like that. And he's like, come on, man, get in the water, get in the water. I'm like, I am not going in the water. I'm going to be the adult here. You can be the child. I'm not going into the water. So Russ comes over. Russ played left guard in football. He's a strong guy. Um, he ran over and he go to me, go to me. He goes, Harv, just run in. We only live once. Are we going to do this anymore? So lo and behold, we took off our shirts, took off our bicycle sh- uh, shoes and jumped in the water. And We ran in. We got a picture of it running out of the water. Russ keeps this picture on his, uh, on his desk to this day. What was so powerful about that moment and where I'm at with you is this. Here's what I find with most Christians. It, well, let, me, let me dial it back. I find this with many of us as Christians, and I would find it that all of us as Christians have these moments. Fair enough? Is that a better way to say it? We all have these moments. God says, go in. We're like, no, and maybe never. And God says, go in. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Because here's what we have in our mind. We have in our mind that that water means everything in our life could go away. I mean, literally, you could go in there, get hypothermia, get carried off, and, you know, and get shot by a whaling boat or something like that, right? I mean, something like that could happen. All your fears start running in there. Russell said, get in the water. And I ran and I jumped in. And here's what happened. For 20 seconds, my body lit up like crazy and this feeling and sensation of, like, shock that said, This fool went in. He's about to die. Send all the blood to the middle, right? So my body does all of that. And you guys are in medical field. You understand what was going on there. My body was saying, do that. But after 20 seconds, it was amazing. My body went numb. It went numb. And then I had this feeling of ecstasy. Like, I don't know. I've never done drugs. So honest, haven't done drugs. But I have the feeling it's probably what I felt right there. It was this unbelievable feeling. Of every part of my muscles, they were all kind of like freezing down. you, we'd been 20 miles on a bike and pumping and going pretty hard. We jump into there, and, and we're in there. For about five to seven minutes, I get out. We ride the bikes back. It was the easiest 20-mile ride I've ever had in my life. The water so invigorated us. And I know there's a principle about this. And some of you guys do this where you you know do a hot shower and then you do a cold at the very end because it does this with your blood system and all like that. And it actually is something anatomical that's at work there. But here's what it was for me. I said, I'm going in. And what I would say to you is, is that the culture around us is so desperate. We are all desperate for intimacy, but we are afraid to go in on God's terms. We're not afraid to go in on our terms Our terms are the Caribbean, the water's about 85. We got a Mai Tai right here. Everything is really good. We're really living the way we want to live. And we go, okay, God, I'll go in on that. But you tell me, honestly, I've been married 31 years. Is that what real marriage or real relationships are like? And I want to make sure to note something. This sermon isn't just about married or married for, for married people. This is about intimacy in relationships with friends as well. I have a lifelong friend there that russell and i have just this wonderful meaningful relationship what i found is this you guys the isolation of covid didn't make us lonely it revealed we are lonely The isolation of COVID didn't make something happen. Of course, some things did get exacerbated, but the cracks that showed up were the cracks that were already there. Yeah, there are some that happened. I mean, and God bless us. Some people, we had great physical infirmary and all those things happened, and maybe it's still not over. Who knows? Maybe we got chapter four, five, six, and seven yet. I don't know, but what I do know is this: is that I am not going to sit there and wait on someone to tell me how to live my life. I'm going to get up and go, and I'm going to keep building my relationships, and I'm going to keep growing my relationship with God and with my friends. Do not let the world stiff arm you, push you, pressure you into isolation that will utterly destroy your life. What's the worst thing we do to people who create the the or do the most heinous crimes? We put them in 23-hour maximum security hyper-isolation, right? That's a punishment. God has called us to be in communion with each other. Communion, common union, that we would be in communities, that we have a common unity where we say, you know what? Your well-being is my well-being. I'll look after you, you look after me. We'll be neighborly with each other. That's a form of knowing someone in a very shallow form of intimacy, but it still is this, we belong to each other. So what does the Bible say about this? How do we move forward in it? I want to walk you through a couple of things, so we'll roll this next slide here, because we need to understand the way that God called us to faith is not some weak, immobile, non-decisive, stand-on-the-sand, scared-to-death kind of faith. That's not what he called us to. It's not for the faint of heart. Christianity is actually for people who are full of heart. Now, you've got to understand what's going on here. And I'm going to paint the picture for a second. Paul has sent Timothy to go and pastor and shepherd a church. Timothy would have been no more than 20, 22, 23, something like that. He was a young man right? So think of our intern at the church, Jake, right? Jake, a young man who loves God, knows the word of God, etc. And Paul says, okay, great. Get in there and go pastor a church. And he goes in there and the people go, well, who are you? You're 23, 24. What are you telling us this for? And we don't believe that. And we're doing all these things. And he was a bit discouraged. So Timothy's a bit discouraged. And Paul comes back to him and says these words, Timothy, for this reason, I remind you, let me put back into your mind to kindle a the gift of god which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's saying you can do this. God called you to do this. He has empowered you to do this. Here's the one point. You cannot do it alone. Life was not meant to be done alone. He's saying you have a re- resource in your life, which is the Holy Spirit of God. Now, what does that Holy Spirit of God do? Look in verse 7, and it shows you exactly what he needed. For God has not given us, given you, Timothy, a spirit of timidity. That word for timidity is, a sp- is the word for fear. In this verse, many of you learned it in the New King James Version, and it says, God did not give you a spirit of fear. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is Fear fear. That's what keeps us from intimacy. It's what keeps us from being friends. It's what keeps us from saying, I'll make myself a little bit vulnerable so that we can build a friendship with each other. It is fear that shuts us down. And what's so interesting is, is that along the way, if anything has happened over the last 18 months of COVID, it is this, is that fear has had its day. Can I get an amen? I mean, did it or is it just your or my world that it happened in? It happened in your world too, right? Fear became what? A weapon. Fear became a weapon. We weaponized fear. We used fear to say to people, well, what if, and what if, and what if, and what if? And you go, okay, well, I mean, look, let's be prudent. Let's be wise. But at the same time, I am not going to live here standing on the sand going, I'm not going to keep moving. The line keeps moving. What did God give Timothy and what did God give you and you and you and me? He gave us this. But I gave you a spirit of power and of love and of discipline. We don't go out there and just haphazardly be stupid and put our health and and other people's health at risk. But what God did give us was, is he gave us a mind to say, you know what? I I can do right. I can begin to eat better. I can begin to put more things in my body like vitamin D that build my immune system. I can learn to look after my neighbor and I can be careful with my conversations. And if I'm not well, I can look and step back a little bit. God gave us a spirit of discipline. God gave us a spirit of power. And that is, I'm not waiting for someone else to tell me how to live my life. Do not wait for that, guys. Do not wait for that. The third thing is, is he gave me a spirit of love. And that spirit of love is a, is a spirit that says, I can actually go after the very best things because the best things are still available. Because here's what fear does. Fear scares us into believing that everything good that we want is no longer available to us. In fact, there's a song that talks about this. Uh, it was written, uh, you probably hear it on the radio once in a while. It was by a guy named Zach Williams. Have you ever heard this song? It's called Fear is a Liar. You ever heard this song? I'm not going to sing it for you. Because God help you and God help me. I will never sing it for you. But I want to read to you a few lines. See if this makes sense. Think 18 months. Think a spirit of timidity. Here's what Zach Williams said. When fear told you you're not good enough, when fear told you you're not right enough, when fear told you you're not strong enough, to put up a good fight. When fear told you you're not worthy. When fear told you you're not worthy to be loved. When fear told you you're not beautiful enough. When fear told you you'll never be enough. When fear told you you were troubled so troubled that you'll be alone the rest of your lives. When fear told you you should run away and never find because you'll, you'll never find a home. When fear told you you were dirty and you should live in your shame. When fear told you you should be the one to realize that grace will never reach your life because you've done the things that God does not forgive, he then says this Fear, he is a liar. He's a liar. Here's what he does He will take your breath. We're at the sand now, right? He'll take your breath, he'll stop you in your steps. Fear is a liar. He will rob you of your rest, he will steal your happiness because fear, he is a liar. And here's what he says cast your fear into the fire because fear will continue to lie to you. Friends, do not live by fear. Do not live by fear. 98% of the things we worry about and are fearful of in the first place never ever happen. That's statistically proven. But what happens is, is that we let fear grip us and fear own us, and we're not called by God to do that. We are called by God to stand at the edge and say, I'll go if you want me to go. Now hear me on this. I am not saying be idiotic and go into that ocean if God did not call you into it. But see, this, it, this is one of the hardest parts of preaching is I'll say something, and, they, and the first thing we tend to do is we go, well, should we be out there doing dumb things? Instead, No, God gave you a brain, right? But what fear does is this, is that we end up being locked up in inactivity. And what happens is this, our marriages, our friendships, our thought life, our everything life grows stale just standing there. What happens to bread after three or four days of just laying around? Yeah. What happens to your life after 18 months of just spiritually laying around? Same kind of thing, right? That's what fear does, is that fear scares us. If you're disabled with fear, I want to encourage you in this, is that I'm not saying there's not validity to some of the things that you're fearful of. But what I'm saying is this, don't let fear be the leader of your life. If nothing else, accept Jesus Christ into your life and say, God, help me with my fears. That's a great step forward. We make that step forward and because God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He actually gave us something better than that. Um, he gave us someone as well to be with us. You notice from my story, I stood at the water. I got to tell you, a, a, a thousand times out of a thousand, I would have never gone into 52 degree water off the coast of Ireland. I'm not that guy. I like doing fun things. I, if you want to go ride 20 more miles on the bike, let's go do 20 more miles. You want to do 40 more miles on the bike? I'll do 40 more. I just my risk reward is, I don't need to tell someone I jumped into 52 degree water. But Russell stood next to me and said, Harv, come on, trust me on this, come along. God made us to be in companionship because the people standing closest to us actually help us go into places better than if we were standing by ourselves. Let me show you the verse for it. It's actually found in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, uh, it says this, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Actually, I think I just put this in my notes, not in your notes. He said this about you. It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper, a companion suitable for him. God actually intended that we would have someone standing by us that helps us face our fears. Now, who are the friends and family and people in your life that help you and stand with you in that? Who are your go-to people? Do you have those? Have you cultivated them? If, if, If you haven't, stop right here. You get a pass on the rest of the sermon spend the rest of this time praying and asking God, Lord, I want to have a person in my life that can stand with me on the sand in the fear moments of my life because I was made by you to do this with someone else. We were not meant to do this on our own. Um, moving along, I want, to, uh, I want to take you to a picture uh, that's very important, and I want to take you to that picture by saying something about intimacy um, there's some important things that you and I need to know about intimacy that are declarative statements. And one of those declarative statements I would have for you is this, is that intimacy is God's, uh, God's a gift to humanity that is barely understood and rarely enjoyed. Intimacy is like something we see at a wonderful museum and we go, oh, wow, that's intimacy. Well, I'll never be able to own one. I'm not a good enough artist to make one. Am I? And, and, and what we resolve in our lives is this. We'll live a life of some form of quiet loneliness and desperation. I think that's a lie from hell. I think it's a lie from hell. I, 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 I just do. And what I would suggest to you, and before you kind of say, well, Harvey, your personality is you like to go and do and all like that, and my personality is, if you, my, my real personality, my real personality is really well and good and alone taking a bicycle and going to Ireland and riding it for a week and never hearing from any of you. <laughs> I, I'm, t- I, I'm more introverted than you'll ever recognize. I, I truly am. I'm, I am right on that line Of that, But what I've found is this, is that the moment good things happen in my life, I want to share them with others and I want to be a part of the life of others. And the other side of it is this, as I've learned to build healthy relationships of intimacy, I've desired to have more of those. And when I've learned to have more of those, I'm willing to risk it with you as well. It is risky business to be in a relationship with other people. One of the problems that I see in our world is this, is that our world is filled with so much sex-crazed uh, uh, lust and all the things going along with it, but I also see a world that is intimacy-deprived. Do you ever have that weird, awkward moment with people when, you go, when you're introducing someone to someone else and you say to them, hey, I want you to meet my friend, so-and-so, and you're like, I- it's your friend? I mean, I thought you just said you met him an hour ago. We use words like friend all the time with people that are not really our friend, right? Isn't that a weird thing about culture? It's because we don't actually know how to striate. We don't know how to build the granularity of good, meaningful, close relationships. We don't know the difference between an acquaintance and a best friend sometimes because part of it is we live in the age of superficiality. We live in an age where it's superficial. We don't really know who our friends are because we don't know what friendship really is. You see, in a world that is sex-crazed in its relationships between males and females, the correlation to that is, this, is that what we do in physical sexual relationships is sex-crazed. What we do in other relationships is we only learn how to, how to have relationships that are useful for us. We use people. Do you know that feeling of being used by someone? That's a terrible feeling, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. In your closest of friendships... Is it cool to have people that just use you? Does think get old that 27th call in a row where you call them and they don't call back? That means that for them, it's utilitarian. When I need you, I'll call you. Or when I need you, you'll get the sense and you'll call me. And by the way, I maybe don't even need you. So you just need me. We live in a world that is broken up sexually and is broken up friendship wise. We use flattery to drive that. We live in a world where it's barely, it's, it's barely understood and rarely enjoyed. God has a better way. So I, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of a bit of a, I'm a math major, so I'm a bit of a geek around things. So I wrote a formula or a paper on how we build intimacy. You're welcome to laugh. I laugh about myself on it too. It's okay. You laugh it and go, okay, Har, so this is like paint-by-numbers relationship. Well, I'm going to laugh back and say, I'd rather paint my numbers and get the relationship I want than to be out here never, ever getting any of it. And you know what's so great is God gave us His Word to teach us about that. The guys are going to find this uh, this uh, page up here for us, where we're going to walk through the idea of what it means to have intimacy with God, so that we can learn to have intimacy with other people. Here's what the process of being intimate with God looks like. It's straight out of the Bible. James chapter four, verse six to ten, uh, says this. Um, James chapter 4, verse 6. But God gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The beginning point of having a relationship with God is with humility. Here's a very important thing that you should know is, is that if you want God to be on the opposite team, if you want God to wear a Brigham Young University shirt at a Boise State game, be arrogant with God. God, catch this, God doesn't like arrogance. Before you're too hard judging God, can I ask you a question? Do you like hanging around cocky people? No. Do you like people who make themselves feel big so you'll feel small? No. Well, God says that same thing. as He says if you want to have an intimate relationship, the first thing it requires is humility. Let's look at what verse 10 says. Verse 10 goes even further. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. That word exalt means God will lift you up. So going back to that master plan of what it looks like in all these four things, the first place to begin to have a relationship with God that is intimate is it begins with humility. If you're too proud to come to God, you'll never be intimate with Him. Fair? It's pretty straightforward. Second part of it, it comes right out of that. And that is if you're going to grow to a next place of relationship with God, it's going to be that you're going to learn to respect him. You're going to learn to revere and respect the God of the universe. Psalm 25, 14 says this. Friendship with the Lord is reserved uh, for those who reverence him. With them alone, he shares the secrets of his promises. The next place is is that we have a respect-built relationship with God. I respect him. That's called reverence. Before you're too hard on God, let me ask you a question. Are you intimate with anybody you don't respect? No. Right? We're not. God is the same exact way. Is that we move to friendship with God when we we begin to respect him and show him that. The next place that we grow in towards intimacy with God is is that we grow to intimacy with God with faith. I learned to put my faith in God. Look at this progression of Proverbs chapter three, probably one of the most beautiful verses you could ever imagine, beautiful ones to set and memorize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Remember this idea? Okay, up to this point now, I've learned to be humble before him, and I respect him. Now I'm open to actually hearing from him, okay? Instead, the obvious, the obvious opposite of that is I come in and I go, okay, God, here's what I need, want, and when are you gonna deliver? That, that is not intimacy with God. So now we look at verse six. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What he's saying is this, is that if you wanna go forward into life, you wanna go in forward with an intimate relationship with him, is, is that at some point that humility leads to you saying, okay, God, you know what? I'll tell you what, you lead and I'll follow. And if God goes in the water, go in the water. If God decides to walk along the beach, follow him on the beach. That's called following God. That means that we have uh, faith. So verse 7 says this. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. That word is that word for reverence again. Be respectful of. Respect the Lord and turn away from evil. This becomes a decision point in in an intimate relationship with someone. If I've been doing things to harm the relationship, if I want to move forward to be intimate with someone, I have to have places where I change. Where I change. And here's, guys, let me pick on you for a minute. Guys, my wife doesn't have to tell me where to change. I know in my heart where I ought to be working on stuff in my life. You do too. I mean if you're being honest, if there's things in your life that that, that are just not right and she knows about them, you know about them too. You know what we do, though, at times? We just get lazy because we don't discipline ourselves in our relationships. We just go, well, she's got to love me, and she'll love me, and all like that. And we make that sloppy mistake of saying, I'm going to be wise in my own own ways, and I'm just going to kind of do whatever I want. If you're doing that, you might as well just put a, a, a fence right there and go, we won't go any further than this. If God is moving in your life, this is why it's so important to have a relationship with God first, because if God is moving in your life first, He will be the one to go, Hey, Harv, we got to talk about a couple things. The Holy Spirit of God prompts us when we're open to Him about what's going on in our lives. It's usually our friends and our spouses that usually come back and go, Hey, I'm seeing this too. There's another way to say it than that, and I'll I'll do that next week. So go to verse 8. It says, it will be a healing to your body and it will be refreshment to your bones. You know the most beautiful thing about a three-day weekend in America? Is that we wear ourselves out and we can barely go back to work on that Monday, right? Or on that Tuesday. You get to Tuesday and you're like, oh, God. One of the most beautiful things when we get to a place of intimacy is, is that we, we get in there full bore and we do all those kinds of things, but we also get refreshed by it. Do you ever, you ever had that workout when you get done with a workout and it's about two hours later and you get this little endorphin blast that just goes through your body and you're like, man, I'm so glad I went to the gym, right? That's this. Is that he's saying, when you walk in those ways, you will have the blessing all the way down to your bones. So then we go, so let's go back to the, to the footprint, if you will, or that overview map. To be intimate with God, we have to be humble, respectful, learn to have faith in him, not just in ourselves. And then what happens is we get to that last part, and that is we become a child of God. First John, John chapter 1, verse 12 puts it to us like this. Yet to all he received, to those he believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children of God. Truly become children of God. One of the hardest things for us to believe in our lives as Christians is that we really are a child of the living God. You are. If you received him as your Lord and Savior, he calls you his child. And the word in the scripture actually says he adopted us into our family. I want you to hear this word because I'm using it to, uh, to, to be descriptive, not to be gross, okay? There are no bastard children in the kingdom or family of God, no matter what the world says about you. God welcomes you in, and he says, I rejoice that you're here. He's like, put a smile on your face. You're in the family. You're in the family. You're in. You're cared for. You're welcome. You're loved. You're cherished. All those blessings and benefits. And the truth of it is this, guys. We want that, but we rarely ever, going back to this whole roadmap, if you will, we rarely ever do the work of being humble before him, respectful before him, faithful to him. We just say, I want to eat. Where's my spot? That is not Christian faith. You will never be intimate with God if you show up with this. I'm here. Feed me. Make it all better. You know what that's called? Childlike arrogance. It's called being a brat, right? Right? If a kid showed up, you go out to lunch today and some kid comes over to your table and takes a fry off. You're going to say, oh, you want a couple more, right? No, you're going to go, someone ought to smack that kid's little tush, right? Why do we think that we can do that with God and get away with it? God invites us into intimacy. you got to do that. Now, intimacy that we have with each other is built on the same idea, and I want you to see the scriptures that go along with that. The process of being intimate with God leads to the process of being intimate with someone else. This should look very familiar to you. How do we begin in a relationship with someone else is that we become vulnerable to them. It's the hardest part of what happens in the broken world we're in. I said it earlier, but think about this for a second. We live in a culture that trains people to date to where most kids have five or six spiritual, relational, physical divorces before they ever get married. That's our world. We go, get out there and date, try out the plumbing, do all the things. God wants you to have fun, do all those kinds of things. And what happens is, is that we go through one spiritual, emotional divorce at 14. We go through one at 16. We go through one in the back of a car at 18. We go through one in this and this, until finally what happens is, is that we're so broken up that we don't ever want to be vulnerable with anyone else again. And what we do is we go, I don't know, do you like me? I don't know, do you like me? I don't know, do you like me? And we've given up on the, I don't know, do you like me? And we've given up on the, know, like up on the checking boxes to we now all we do is we swipe left or we swipe right. That's where we're at. So here you have Pastor Harve saying, if you want to be intimate with somebody in your life, you have to now be again vulnerable to them. Vulnerable to them. Look at the verses. It's out of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and following says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than ourselves. Humility and vulnerability begin with this idea that I am not going to be selfish. I'm actually going to open up to you. You know the weirdest trade-off that our culture does? Our culture says to the women, or, or the guys say to the women, hey, show me everything you have. And then the girl says, okay, well, show me, let me into your emotional heart. And he goes, "Well, I, no, I want to I let you into my physical body. I don't, want, you don't, I don't want you to see who I am. I don't want you to know who I really am. I want you just to, you know, let's, you know, go play Adam and Eve and run around the garden a little bit, right? That's what our culture says. I mean, we're prudes if we don't agree with that, right? We're Puritans. Welcome to the Puritan class if that's such an offensive thing, right? Right? But that's the culture we live in. And here's, what, here's what's most often going on in a male-female dynamic of a relationship. Here's what's also going on in a friend dynamic of a relationship is this, is that we want the other person to be vulnerable. We wanna hold our cards close to the vest. We wanna go, well, I, you know, once I see what you lay down, then I'll kind of tell you what I'll lay down. That is not a recipe for intimacy. That is a recipe for, oh gosh, I feel so vulnerable and I feel like I'm gonna get, taken advantage of the beginning of vulnerability is unselfishness look at verse four it also gives another thing and it starts in our mind do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also the interests of others what does that mean is that before i want something from you i will give something to you business calls that adding value to begin with Add value being vulnerable to another person. So if we go back to our roadmap here for a second, and we go back to Har's little nerd sheet for for a moment, we have vulnerability, which leads to a next one, which is earned respect to and from another person. I will be unselfish with you. You saw those verses, and that is this, is that when people, you know how you earn respect in people's lives? Be unselfish. Think back to the person, think right now, the person you work with, that is the person you like to be around the most. Are they selfish or unselfish? Say it aloud. They're unselfish, right? The, the, the person you like to work with is not the person who looks at you and says, do your job, I'm doing mine. Why are you asking me for something? Right? The person who you love to work with is a person who says, yeah, yeah, I'll help you with that. No problem. Let's do this. We had a funeral here yesterday morning for a man, 53 years old, who passed away, heart attack, finished his life over. And all of his colleagues came in and, and were weeping because he was so unselfish in their lives. So unselfish. You know what unselfish people earn that everybody else just wants? They earn other people's respect. Here's what I like to say about respect respect is like this the first cup's on the house, second cup you pay for. Fair? That's how we learn and earn respect. So in we, we learn and earn respect. And if we do that, then we go to this next level, and that is we begin to actually trust someone else based upon some big, big word that we always overlook honesty. Look at what Proverbs chapter 26, 28 says about honesty. A lying tongue hates those it crushes. If you want a ceiling on intimacy in your relationship, tell each other lies. Start with the white little lies and then start with a, well, I'll just get away with it lie. Then say, then then do another lie and another lie and another lie until you finally get to the point where it's kind of all a lie. Look, We all know when people are lying to us, right? But isn't it funny that we never think that they can tell if we're lying? That's ironic, isn't it? Let me give you another piece of this, is that a lying tongue hates those it crushes. One of the most necessary things of intimacy in any relationship, whether it's a business relationship, whether it's whatever kind of relationship, is that honesty is so vitally important because it creates this powerful thing called confidence. Confidence. When girlfriends talk, tell me if I'm wrong, ladies. But when girlfriends talk and a guy starts to like one of the gals and, and they come back and they're talking with their girlfriends and they're having this whole conversation, they do have these conversations. We know about these conversations. Okay, You're having these conversations. What do we talk about? Hey, look, I know, I know he's attracted to you. I know he's attracted. He's got a pulse. He's attracted to you. Good. He's got eyesight. All right, that's really great. What do the girls ask? Does he care about you and do you think he's being honest? Isn't that what you ask, ladies? Does he care about you, and is he he honest? Guys, this is a simple roadmap that goes there. Honesty is so important. Look what the next one is. Flattering mouth works ruin. No, sorry, sorry, Uh, next part of that second verse. I'm messing you guys up. Go back one more. There And a flattering mouth works ruin. You know where our culture is? Our culture doesn't know how to receive a comment that is a compliment anymore. We don't. What we have done is this. Instead of using plain, honest speech to compliment others, we've now gone to what? Fake book flattery. Oh, your shirt is so cute. It's so adorable. It's so great. It's $9.99 at Kohl's. I mean, you can get one too. Why are you going over top on all of this, right? We have gotten into this world of fake flattery over the top. We've, hear me? We've run out of adjectives. Ladies, give the guys a break on this. If he says it looks really good on you, he means it. He doesn't have another layer. He's going, it, it, looks, it looks great on you. Be careful. Be careful of the friends that flatter you. Because you know what flattery is? Flattery is a shade of dishonesty. You know it when someone's flattering you, right? Okay, I'm going to ask you the question. I'm asking all the simple quizzes. You guys have all got A so far, right? Do you like being around people who give you false flattery? Say yes or no. No, right? And what he's saying is this, if you want to have intimacy, if you really want to have those relationships to grow, then what you have to do is you have to build it. So let's go back to the roadmap. And on the roadmap, what we'll see is this, is it requires vulnerability, then it requires earned respect, then it involves trusting the other person, until finally you get to the place where you have oneness, which is, I learned to be naked and not ashamed with someone else. And hear me on this. Forget, forget naked from the physical standpoint for just a minute, okay? Think about this. What does it look like when you have people that are naked with you emotionally? And I don't mean like vomiting on you emotionally, but in other words, they're not playing games with you, right? What does it look like when you have healthy emotional intimacy with someone, healthy uh, relational intimacy with someone? They're my companion. They're my friend. I love hanging out with them. I love being with them. I love enjoying the conversation that goes along with them. Genesis is talking about a husband and a wife relationship, but that word that's in there in Genesis twenty-four, or 2.24, let's read it real fast. Genesis 2.24 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and they will be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This word right here in the Hebrew is the word echad. Echad. If you need to clear your throat, it's chahad. Okay, echad. And here's what it means. They were one in every way. They are one in every way. I forget the time Shadley looked at me and, you know, I'm all Don Juan Serapio, got the flowers in one hand, a gift in another hand, and I want to come and kiss my wife and all those sorts of things. And we have this game we play in our relationship with each other. Not We don't play games, but we have this little thing we do. Okay, and the little thing we do is this. Is she'll go, hey, hey. I I know you love me. Tell me why you like me. You know what she's saying? Be companion intimate with me before you want to be physically intimate with me. Be my friend on top of being my lover. Be the person that likes me and cares about me as much as anything else. One of the most powerful things that's important to understand is this word right here is also found in the Shema. Every observant Hebrew family starts the day out with the Shema, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That word that is said is this word, Echad. What he's saying is this, God is Echad. And what God is offering them is the state of being in Echad together. That's intimacy So we'll stop right here. We'll go back to the sandy beach, right? Maybe we'll throw up the slide again that shows that beach uh, that's there just by itself and we'll look at that and you're on the sand and you're standing right here and you've heard all of that and for some of you, this is the most dangerous place in the world. I'm not gonna be intimate or, or with anyone else. Wait a minute, you're saying intimate is just being a good friend? Yeah, intimacy is good friendship. What would that look like? You mean being vulnerable I'm being trustworthy, and I have to stop telling, like, those lies? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you want to get out there, and you want to experience the beauty of all that's out there, then it means that you will be vulnerable. It means that you will be respectful. It means that you and I will be unselfish. It means that you and I will become trustworthy. It means that you and I will learn that life relationships are emotional, spiritual, physical, relational, and, uh, and intellectual. It's that we have a 5 a oneness about us. And that means I can call you my friend and mean it. God offers that to us. Next week, we're going to talk about how we resolve conflicts with each other. Because what happens along the way is that we at times have these conflicts come back. If you don't come back or you can't come back, watch online. But we're, we're handing out fresh bread so that it won't be stale in five days. We hope that it will bless, lead, and encourage your lives. Amen? Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.